before we jump into the message today, I just want to point your attention to a couple of announcements right there on your bulletin. Um, the first one is that you usually have a student that attends Students of Coastal. Um, they are not meeting tonight, so moms, you get to have your high school, middle school student with you. Um, but we will resume again next week at 5 p.m. And if you haven't sent your middle school or high school student yet to that, I would greatly encourage you to do that. And then for those of you who are men in the room, I know it's Mother's Day, uh, but we have a breakfast and cornhole tournament coming up. Uh, for men, they'll be at our Yorktown campus, and uh, different men from all our different campuses will be competing in this tournament. So if you are into that, um, that is coming up on May 14th. Um, so it's a great event for maybe dads, friends, um, and sons to be able to attend as well. Um, and then LVR Camp is just around the corner. I just want to remind you again, about this incredible opportunity for rising middle school students, rising sixth graders, middle school and high school students to be able to come together and have a time to connect and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, parents, this is such a great time, again, to send your kids to be a part of this incredible environment, um, to meet others, and again, to grow closer to Christ as well. Well, today is Mother's Day, and we do want to take a moment before we get into the message just to celebrate moms and to pray for moms. And we also want to pray for, I know for some, like, this is a great day of celebration. And moms, I hope that today you don't have to do anything. In fact, I'm declaring it right now from this stage that whoever else is in your household, whether that's your husband or your kids or you have a nanny or a really good dog, whatever it is, whoever else is in your household, they have to do the work for the rest of the day, okay? You don't have to cook. You don't have to clean. You don't have to lift a single finger. You don't have to breathe if you don't want to, okay, because this is your day. Um, and we want to celebrate moms. But I also know that for many, today can also be a painful day. I know that for some moms out there or some women out there, you've, you've been hoping to become a mom. You've been praying for that. I know that some moms have lost their children, and this is a painful day. I know that for some children out there, you've lost your mom and this is a painful day, and we want to pray for you as well. So won't you join me in prayer? Father, we are so grateful for the incredible love that you lavish on us. And God, for many of us, that love is shown through our mothers. Um, to think, Lord, they bore us in their wombs. And God, they, they cared for us and fed us and saw us at some of our weakest moments. But yet they still love us, God. Mom, um, the love of a mom is such a picture of who you are. And so today, God, I pray for the moms who are sitting in this room, who are watching on this line, on, online. God, I pray that you would just encourage them today. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them today. And God, I pray that they would know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I pray that they would know that you have equipped them, empowered them, and called them to be the mom of those children in their lives. God, I pray that today they would know, Lord, that they are dearly loved by you. But God, they are also given the grace that they need to be able to, to mother these children, to love them well. But God, I pray for the women who are sitting in this room or watching online today that this is a painful day. God, I pray that you would wrap your arms around them as well. God, I pray that you would give them the grace that they need. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts. And God, I pray that they would know, Lord, that you love them deeply, you care for them deeply. Lord, for those who have lost their moms on this day, God, I pray that they would know too, Lord, that you want to bring comfort into their hearts. And God, I pray today as they remember their mom or celebrate their mom, 
God, I pray that you would bring in comfort to them. God, in everything we trust you, God. God, you're so good to us, no matter what the season is. God, even when we don't deserve it, you are good. And today, Lord, we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, prayer isn't our voices just reverberating against these walls. Prayer isn't just our thoughts floating around inside of our minds. Prayer is powerful, it is personal, it is necessary. In fact, Jesus often modeled what it looked like to pray. So many times, all throughout the Gospels, it showed that Jesus would show his disciples and he himself was a model of what it looked like to pray. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, after his baptism, Jesus prays. When he was in agony, before he was getting ready to go to the cross, all in the garden, he prayed with his disciples around them in Matthew chapter 26. When he was getting ready to choose his disciples, you want to know what Jesus did? He prayed. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the twelve. So before Jesus goes to pick his disciples, he spends all night praying for his disciples that he was about to choose. He prayed while he was here on earth. He prayed passionate prayers while he was here on earth. Like the writer of Hebrews says that in the days of his flesh, time when he was here on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears. He prayed when he was by himself. In fact, just like in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus would often go off to lonely places to spend time just with his father in prayer. And Jesus is praying for us right now in heaven. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 22 through 26 says, This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make prayer. Intercession for them. Today we're going to wrap up our series called Now. Looking at what Jesus has been doing since the resurrection. And if you miss any part of this series, the very first week we talked about how the risen Christ is awesome. That he is powerful that he is conquering, but he's also comforting. And just last week, we talked about how Jesus is preparing a place for those who love him. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Life is best lived when Jesus is at the center of your story. In fact, from the beginning to end, he shows us that he is the way, that he is the way to eternity. And today, we're going to take a look at Jesus' high priestly prayer as we wrap up this series. Jesus, God in flesh, takes time to pray for his disciples. Church, I don't know if there's any other religion in the world where the God of that religion actually prays for the people that are following them. But Jesus, God in flesh, is praying for you. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. 
And as we look at John 17 today, we're going to see Jesus' high priestly prayer that happens right before he goes to the cross. He prays for his disciples who are right there with him, but he also prays for us. He's praying for future generations of the church that are to come. Churches that would exist in the 21st century, churches that would be right here on 1832 Elbow Road. And today we're going to see what Jesus prayed for as he prayed for us. But as he prays, he shares his heart with his Father. He shares his heart with the Heavenly Father, but he also shares his heart with his disciples who are right there with him. So today we're going to see that as he shares his heart, his request is clear. But the bigger question we want to answer today as a church, as Jesus is praying for us, is will we be an answer to Jesus' prayer request? In fact, as we go through this today, in fact, there's three questions I think that we can even ask ourselves to see if we are going to be an answer to Jesus' prayer request. So John chapter 17, starting in verse 9, let's get into it. Jesus said, I am praying for them, as he's talking to the Father. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. The first question I want to ask you, if you're going to be an answer to Jesus' prayer request, is will Jesus be glorified in you? Will Jesus be glorified in you? You know, right before this in verses 3 through 5, Jesus is talking about his glory with the Father. And how everything he has done is to bring glory to the Father. In fact, listen to these verses in verses 3 through 5 of, of chapter 17. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Church, right here again is the gospel. Jesus says this is eternal life, that people will believe in the one whom the Father has sent, the one who existed before the world was made, before the world existed. I know we say this a lot around here. In fact, we remind you of it a lot. But one of the core tenets of the gospel is that Jesus is God. He wasn't just some other prophet or teacher or someone who did some sort of fun magic tricks in the first century. This was God in flesh. And as, as, as Jesus uses his language that he wants to bring the Father glory, the Father's given him glory, and he's going to give the Father glory, he's really saying that he is on the same level with the Father, that he himself is God. We never just want to brush past when Jesus declared himself to be God. Because it separates him from everyone who's ever lived. Again, this wasn't just another prophet, teacher, or preacher making their ways through first century Israel around that area. Jesus was so much more than that. In fact, just a few years ago, I was taking an Uber to the church I was working at in Stafford, Virginia. And as I was taking this Uber over to the church, the driver of that Uber said, oh, you're going to a church and I said, yes, I am. And he said, he's like, do you believe everything that church teaches? And I said, absolutely, I do. 
He said, look, I, he's like, he said, I'm a Muslim. He said, I believe Jesus was a prophet. I believe Jesus was a good teacher. He says, but why do you guys make him out to be God? He never said that. And I proceeded to tell him the gospel. Because Jesus said it right here. In John chapter 1, all throughout the gospel of John, I said, we didn't make him out to be God. He himself said it. And Jesus, who is God, died on the cross for our sins. And then three days later, to pay the price for our sins that was going to lead us eternally away from God, he bodily rose from the dead, conquering sin and death in the grave. And we never want to move past this because this is what separates Jesus from everyone. And when Jesus is talking right here about being glorified, he's saying, look, he's like, he's going to glorify the Father. The Father's glorified him. But in our lives, we are to glorify Christ. And see, glorifying Christ, what it looks like is believing and living the gospel. It's seeing that Jesus is a friend. And yes, he loves you. Yes, he wants to be close to you. But it's also remembering that he is Lord, that he is king. That he is God. Jesus right here, look, he's not praying for the rest of the world at the moment. He's praying for those who do have a relationship with him. Those who have trusted him as their savior, saying that he wants to be glorified in them. So church, like I often ask you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know Jesus? And then right now, if you do, are you living like it? Are you bringing glory to Christ with the life that you're living right now? Listen to how the story continues in verse, 13, in verse 11. Jesus said, look, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. He says, I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you love me. Second question I want to ask you is in regards to will you be an answer to Jesus' prayer request is will you pursue gospel-centered unity? Will you pursue gospel-centered unity? Church, have you ever thought about the, the, the crazy group of people that Jesus assembled to follow him? In fact, if you, if you go back and you read in the gospel, Mark chapter 3, if you go back and read, it's one of those passages where it lists all of the disciples that were following Jesus at the moment, the main 12 that we know about. There was more than that, but it talks about the main 12. One of those people in the main 12, is that me here? coming down. Now I'm scared. I think I broke it, Travis. <laughs> Should I grab this microphone right over here? Oh, it's going to be like a Pentecostal.
All right. So if you read in this passage in Luke chapter 3 or Mark chapter 3, one, this is one of the passages that does describe all of the disciples that were following Jesus. And one of those disciples that was following him that it lists is a guy named Simon the Zealot. Now, do you guys know what the Zealots were trying to do? The Zealots were people, were Jewish people, who believed that the coming Messiah was going to be this military leader, that when he came, he was going to completely take Rome out. In fact, the Zealots, they were all about tearing down the government. The government had too much infringed on their rights as Jewish people, had taken too much ground, and when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to help them push back. He was going to help them take over. They were like, let's burn the whole thing down, was what the Zealots believed. But not only part of that, part of his followers were Simon the Zealot, but you also had people like James and John. James and John were called the sons of thunder. For whatever reason, they, they thought about some violent things happening to other people. In fact, they carried swords. And in the Gospel of Luke, it even said that after Jesus and his disciples had this interaction with some Samaritans, which if you know anything about Scripture, the Jewish people and the Samaritan people hated each other. If you want to use even stronger language, they were racist against each other. And in fact, the, the, the disciples right there, John and James, actually even said to Jesus, after they had this interaction with the Samaritans, they said, Jesus, should we call down fire and burn up every one of these Samaritans? Matthew was a tax collector, and he was all about the government. <laughs> If the zealots wanted to tear the whole thing down, the tax collectors wanted to lean into it a little bit more. Because when the government would manipulate people um, or change things or do things that only benefited people who worked for the government, uh, they benefited from it. So Matthew was like, I, I love it because I get to benefit from it. And of course, we know that Peter would even completely, utterly reject Jesus. And there were women who were following Christ which in the first century, no rabbi in the world, no rabbi would have any women following him. And that's just to name a few. And it's this group of people, this group of people who at any moment would even argue amongst themselves who was the greatest amongst them. This group of people, one group was saying at one point, hey, let's burn the whole government system down. One of them that was leaning into it, one of them who would deny Jesus, it was this group of people that Jesus looks at and he says, Father, I want them to be one. Now, this wasn't some type of a kumbaya type of unity that I think often the world kind of pushes today. But it says, Jesus said, look, they need to be one even as we are one. Again, talking about that Trinitarian unity. He says, they may be one even as we are one. And in verse 23, he says, look, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Now, the word perfectly right there back in the original language that this was written in is the Greek word teleo. And it means to complete or to bring to a finish. And what Jesus is saying, look, I wanted to be perfectly one. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm starting something right here, but I'm, I want these people, this ragtag group of people who no one else in the universe could ever bring together, I want them to complete what I have started and to show just how the gospel, the good news, can bring people together. Jesus is praying, look, I want them to be one. No one could bring this diverse group of people together except him. 
no other program or system or theory or any other religion could ever bring this group of people, people under every background and ethnic group and political persuasion and socioeconomic status like the gospel can, like Christ can. In fact, D.A. Carson, who's a theologian, he says, this is a picture, this picture of perfect unity that Jesus prays, he says this is breathtakingly extravagant. There's nothing else like this. And then Dr. Tony Evans, he says about this verse, he says the church of Jesus Christ is composed of people from every race, ethnicity, gender, and walk of life. But we have the common purpose of proclaiming the gospel and pursuing God's kingdom agenda. He says our effectiveness is determined by our unity. That's why Satan works so hard at causing division among Christians and within churches. Unity is tr in truth, it's critical to experiencing the presence and power of God. Perfect unity. So that the world may know that Jesus was sent. Church, what if we were an answer to Jesus' prayer? Come on, this is going to be an election season. And again, I want you to hear me as I say this. You need to vote. In fact, some of our politicians, I believe, are working for the enemy. We need to vote them out, okay? I really do believe that people need to vote, that we as Christians should be engaged in the political process. We need to pray, and we need to vote. And in fact, I hope that in this next season, laws are passed that stops the mistreating of people, that stops the sex trafficking of women and children and even young men. And stops places like Planned Parenthood from existing, killing predominantly minority babies in minority communities. And we do need to participate in debates, but not because of our political affiliation. What if this election season, people didn't primarily know us as the people who are the party of the donkey or the elephant. But they knew us as the party of the lion and the lamb. What if the gospel really did pour out in our lives that we really did make a difference and, and we were known by only that and not by a political persuasion? Because have you ever noticed that all political parties want to do is divide? What if this church were a church that had people who had had abortions, even championed it in it? But then they met the grace of God and he changed everything. What if this church were people, were filled with people who were once racist against another group of people, but they met the grace of God. Now they worship alongside the people that they once hated because they met the grace of God. Man, what if this church was filled with politicians and rich people and poor people, all sinners, but all who have met the grace and the love of God? What if this church were filled with people of every background and opinion, but they were, realized they were all sinners? who needed a savior, unified, submitted to, and living in the gospel. Who else in the universe could bring together a people like that except Christ? In fact, this is what Jesus was praying for. It's part of the theme of the gospel that has existed from the time Jesus came into earth to what he's praying for in heaven right now. It's the same thing the Apostle Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to the unity that Paul's talking about in these verses. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, and he's talking about the Gentiles, 
So pretty much if you are not born Jewish, you are a Gentile. So every other ethnic group of people besides the Jews, he said, you who are once far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two, so that making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. It's the same thing Jesus would talk about in Luke chapter 14, where he invited some people to come and be a part of a banquet, but people rejected him and moved away from him. Listen to the type of people that Jesus wants to fill his church He said, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. People of every single background. Every single socioeconomic status, every single condition, God wants to come together under the unity of the gospel. And in Revelation chapter 7, again, this is showing that Jesus has prayed something. It is going to be fulfilled, but are we going to be a part of that answer? Revelation chapter 9, when John sees this picture of heaven, he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Perfect unity. And Jesus is praying for perfect unity in our homes, in our church, And he wants us to be the people who lead the way because by this, the world will know that Jesus was sent. Will you pursue gospel-centered unity? Jesus continues to pray in verse 13 where he says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in your truth. Third question, to see if we're going to be an answer to Jesus' prayer request. Will you be in the world, but not of the world? Will you be in the world, but not of the world? Church, anytime the Bible repeats something and it says it over and over and over again, it's for emphasis. 
is for memorization, and it's literally saying, hey, don't miss this. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying here, what God is trying to communicate to us, what the Holy Spirit wants to put in us. It's saying don't miss this. So we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead we are transformed. It's saying, and Jesus is saying, look, there's a couple things right here as he prays that we are to put into practice, that we are to keep in mind so we are in the world but not of the world. And the first thing is that we need to choose his joy over our happiness. We need to choose his joy over our happiness. And notice that in verse 13 it says, his joy. Now, again, this isn't some sort of um, Ned Flanders, uh, Oakley Doakley type of joy. I think oftentimes people try to paint on Christians. This isn't some type of prosperity gospel type of joy where it says that God always wants you wealthy and happy and clappy and nothing will ever go wrong in your life if you decide to follow Christ. This is the type of joy that you live out even when life gets difficult. This is the type of joy where you trust in the promises of God. Remember when Jesus says this, he's about to go and suffer for the entire world. And if the Son of God went through suffering like that, why would we expect that everything in life would be perfect and we would never face any pain or challenges? But I tell you what, when we're in his joy, he will indeed lead us through whatever it is we're going through. In fact, I've been reminded so much this past couple of weeks, when we first started this series, we knew Revelation chapter 1, When John was overwhelmed at how awesome Christ was, but John was also remembering all the persecution that he had faced, that he had went through, and that his brothers and sisters were going through, and he fell dead. And I love how in that moment, it says that Jesus came over to John, and it says that he put his hand on his shoulder, and he said, fear not. Because no matter what it is we're going through, Jesus is going to lead us through but he wants to bring in his comfort, and his comfort is what will bring in joy. Church, this is knowing that in every season, he is still the way, the truth, and the life. But not only do we need to choose his joy over our happiness to be in the world, but not of the world, we also need to choose Christ over culture, okay? We need to choose Christ over culture. Right here, John is writing this about 90 AD, somewhere right around there. And so the Roman government was occupying the Jewish nation, and the Roman government was crazy, okay? It was polytheistic, which means that they worshiped many gods. Not only did they worship many different gods, they had all these idol-making factories. They also would worship the the emperor. They would worship their Caesar. And in fact, the Caesar himself would would have have them worship him, but he himself would also try to set the standard for the rest of the culture. He would even have sex with men and women, multiple men and women, wanting his people to do the same. Not to mention all the persecution they were pouring out on the church and all the executions that they would do for the church. And then also the Jewish culture. The Jewish culture had become very legalistic and also ethnically exclusive and very political. Does that sound like anything that we've had to face at any point in our time today? But even in this, Jesus says, be in the world, but not of the world. He's praying that his disciples, his followers, who are listening to him right then and there, and us today, that we would be sanctified by the truth. Church, we are not shaped by culture. We are shaped by Christ. 
When culture says cancel them if they disagree with you, Christ says that you love them and you pray for them even if they are your enemy. When culture says, look, if you don't like them, if they don't make you happy at any point, you divorce them, Christ says love your wife like Christ loves the church. When culture says seek your truth, Christ says I am the truth. In fact, it is my truth that will set you free. When culture says sexuality is your identity, your job is your identity, Christ says that's what you were. But you have been washed, made clean. You are a new creation in Christ. Christ is your identity. In fact, um, in our English language, um, in American culture, we often will try to use adjectives to describe a noun. I bet you know you're going to get an English lesson today. But we often use adjectives to describe a noun. And the problem is right now in our, in our 21st century American culture that we often will use some type of adjective to describe Christianity. I'm a conservative Christian. I'm a gay Christian. I'm a single Christian. I'm a black Christian. But see, that puts culture over Christ. There's no precursor that needs to go in front of who we are. In fact, the adjective, the one who gets to describe who we are, it is Jesus himself. It is us being sanctified by his word, sanctified by his truth. In John chapter 15, verse 10, Jesus would say, look, if you keep my commandments, if you let my word sanctify you, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Choosing to let God's word sanctify us, choosing to choose his truth over our truth, puts Christ over culture. And then one way, one, one more way like to show us how we can be in the world and not of the world is to choose to pray out loud for someone over just saying you will. Choose to pray out loud for someone over just saying you will. Have you guys ever heard the phrase before, our thoughts and our prayers are with you? Raise your hand if you heard that, okay? Okay, I know you're Baptist. You can raise a little bit hand, higher, okay? Okay? Um, I think almost every single one of us have heard that phrase before at some point where our thoughts and our prayers are with you. I mean, people in the media, on the news streams will say it like when a tragedy happens or uh, when they're dealing with a more difficult story, they'll say our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Uh, politicians say this all the time. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you. People who are out in Hollywood will say this. Our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Can I just tell you something? I don't think they're praying for anybody. I don't think their thoughts are with anyone. I think they just say it because they're trying to think of something to say or trying to say something that will be a little bit more sensitive to the person. Church, be in the world, but not of the world. When someone has something that they've asked you to pray for, don't just say you're going to do it. Really pray for them. In fact, I want to challenge you to even take it a step further than that and that you would pray with them and out loud for them. Again, 
I don't know about you guys, but I feel like every time I've been reading God's word, it's like something, something I haven't seen before, even though now I've been walking with him for 22 years. Every time I read a story I read before, it's like God brings something new that jumps out of his word. And this week as I was preparing for this message, I, I noticed this time that, yes, Jesus is praying to the Father, right? He's sharing his heart with the Father. But he's also praying for his disciples, and he's praying for the future church. I've always known that. But this week it jumped out at me that as he's praying and sharing his heart with the Father, which we should all do, he's also praying out loud for his disciples. He's praying to comfort their hearts. He's praying for their benefit. And let me just say, when we as followers of Jesus those who have trusted Christ and have a relationship with him, when you pray out loud for someone, yes, it is to share your heart with the Father, but it is for the benefit of those who are around you and who will be listening. Prayer literally can change the atmosphere. Um, A few years ago, and um, I guess my wife is still stuck on the bridge because she did not make it this morning. Um, Her and I, we were were having a fight um, at some point, and yes, pastors and their wives do fight from time to time. And um, it was one of those fights where it's like uh, we were both saying something different and we, were tr- and, and we were trying to get to a resolution, but it's like we weren't hearing each other. And it's like everything that was said was met with a, a, a slightly increase in tone. And the next thing that was said was met with a slightly increase in volume. Anybody have any fights like that at all? Man, you guys are so holy. Like, we, so we were, we were talking, and again, I don't remember what the fight was about, but we kept going back and forth, and each line, we were getting more and more intense with each other. And this hasn't happened every single time, but this was one of those times when we were, that I could feel the, the, the tenseness rising in the conversation, and I just said, look, we need to stop and pray. And she said, I don't want to pray. I said, I know. I don't need, I don't want to either. But I really feel like we need to take a moment and pray. And we need to pray because, look, God doesn't want either one of us to get more and more bitter at each other. God doesn't want you to defeat me, and he doesn't want me to defeat you. He wants us both to win and bring him glory even in this moment. So let's just take a moment and pray. So we both stopped, and we prayed for each other. And it wasn't one of those backhanded prayers that sometimes Christians pray like, God, will you please help this idiot stop being so stupid all the time? It wasn't one of those prayers, okay? It was one of those prayers where we simply pray, God, we want to bring you honor. We want to bring you glory. God, help us to hear each other. God, help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God, help us to come to a resolution that does bring you honor and it does bring you in that moment, the problem did not go away. But you want to know something? The atmosphere changed. And in that moment, as we prayed for each other, we were able to work through whatever that thing was. And we continue to do that today. And I just want to challenge you, church, that just like Jesus did, as he's getting ready to go to the cross to comfort the heart of his disciples, he prayed out loud, sharing his heart with the Father. He also takes a moment, and he's praying for his disciples, but he prays out loud for their benefit. So they would be encouraged. So they will be able to make it through that what they were about to go through. So that John would hear it and record these words. So 2,000 years later, we can be encouraged and challenged by them today. Pray. Don't just say you're going to pray for somebody. Pray for them. And take it a step further and pray with them. As our worship team goes and makes their way back up to the stage, 
um, I wanted to take a moment and just pray for you today. And as they come back up to the stage, I just wanted to know, is there anyone out there who maybe you have a prayer request right now that you just, you feel like, man, if maybe somebody in your life and you, re- you felt so burdened to pray for them, uh, maybe it's a prayer request that you have, maybe you need healing for something or help for something that you just feel you have a, re- a prayer request right now you really want the church to know about. Would you just raise your hand up, okay, raise it up if you have a prayer request like that. Now I'm going to challenge you a little bit further. Those of you just raise your hand, I want you to stand up, okay. I want you to stand up. If you raise, just raise your hand up, I want you to stand up, okay, if you have a prayer request like that, okay? Guys, we're going to put this into practice right now. I love in Revelation where it says that John, John said, look, when he was overwhelmed, that Jesus came over and he put his hand on John's shoulder and said, fear not. He gave him his word. And so we want to be able to do that for you today. And if you're okay with someone putting a hand on your shoulder, um, just let them do it. If not, swap their hand away, okay? But I don't want that. All right, that's fine. You can circle around them. But church, I want you to gather around people who are around you, okay? I want you to stand up and make your way to them. I want everyone to be prayed for who needs prayer. I want you to put your hand on their shoulder if they're okay with that, okay? And then those of you, like if you can't make it to someone, I want you to be praying as well. But those of you who are around the person, you have your, your hand on their shoulder, I want you to pray out loud for them. And you can ask them what their prayer request is. You can just start praying because our Heavenly Father knows. But I want you to pray for those people right now. And as you do that, Hunter's going to sing just one more song. And then we're going to close the service out. But I want you to start praying for them right now out loud and pray for those people.